week, the second week of March Madness. We're joined, as always, with Brenton Johnson, and on the line we've got Tyler Barnes. BJ, uh, right before we started recording, you were tooting your own horn. What What are you so excited about? Yeah, you know, I made it through the first weekend uh, in the 99th percentile with my bracket, so uh, feeling like I know ball right now. So that's always a good feeling. You know, you feel assured in that way. The Tide played in my city this week, and now they're going to our special guest, Tyler Barnes City, this upcoming week. TB, how you doing? I'm feeling fantastic. You know, recurring guest of the Mean Streets podcast. I feel pretty honored. I'm feeling good. The Tide's coming to Louisville. I'm pumped. I'm excited. I just need Friday to come here now. Yeah, it's only four days away. And uh, for me at work, it'll be spring break. So, you know, doubling down on the countdown to Friday, uh, I cannot wait. Tyler, I want to get your first reaction, and then we'll ask Britton. Uh, just this weekend, obviously, it is the best sports weekend of the year, starting on Thursday. And you you told us right before we started recording as well that you had a test uh, today in med school. And so I'm sorry about that. I'm sure you didn't get to see as much basketball as you would have liked. But what were your reactions from some of the games you were able to see? Um, I think I did see as much basketball I probably wanted to, and that's probably to the detriment of my test today. But, you know, sometimes you guys, you know, they're they're on the court. JQ was diving for a loose ball. I saw it. You know what I'm doing? I'm just sacrificing. I'm sacrificing the classroom a little bit. Not too much. You know, I think we did pretty well. But, yeah, I mean, it is, like you said, the best. It's the best four days of sports in all and anything, any sporting event. It's the best four days. Um, You know, just have that energy back in the you love March. You got to love it. Uh, The upsets were there. Unfortunately, the tide was not one of them, not one of the one seeds to lose. But, you know, that's just it's there. It just isn't matched by anything else. So I loved it. Um, yeah. Britton, what about you? What do you think? I mean, anytime you just get to plop on your couch and watch nine, ten hours of great basketball, um, it, it's a good day. And so to have that four days in a row. Um, I was, I was the nerdy kid that like grew up with a bracketology binder and like would take it to school and have all the RPIs and BPIs and everything. Um, so like, I, I love this stuff. This is my first time being able to just take in the the tournament and just watch it for in first time in four years, obviously, uh, that comes at the expense of being able to play in it. But at the same time, it's just fun to kind of, now that I'm done, just be able to enjoy it and just watch good ball and, um, luckily not too stressful weekend for the tide. So I just got to enjoy kind of two boring victories, if you will. Yeah. So there were over, uh, 15,000 fans at each session in Birmingham. So over 45,000 fans got to witness, I believe the total was six games over a two day period in Birmingham and legacy arena. The event was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. I got to go to four out of the six games, make a little money back on Auburn's first round game. So that was great as well. And the city of Birmingham just did that, um, they did that up and they did it right. So shout out to Birmingham for that. And we look forward to hopefully having it back in about four years. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to start by asking you, Britton, the Furman upset over Virginia. That was controversy in the Galloway household as there are <laughs> ties to both schools. Right. But what does that do for you? Obviously, you're coming off a year at Sanford after four years at Alabama. What does that win for Furman and the SOCON? What does that do for the league? But how does that also positively reflect on Samford and the, the job they did this year? I mean, obviously, to get to Samford, you're going to have to jump through a hoop or two. But at the same time, you know, we're co-champs with those guys in the regular season. So we were right up there with them, uh, lost in a tough tournament game. But uh, 
you know, Furman's a phenomenal team, and and I think it points to the strength of the league. I mean, for Furman to win the SoCon tournament, um, they had to win a game in overtime in the semifinals. They were down at halftime in the uh, Elite Eight game, and uh, chat was no uh, – I mean, that was a tough game for them in the championship. So they had three tough games in the SoCon tournament to win, um, and then you go to the real tournament. I'm, obviously, it took a, a crazy steal and a big shot late uh, to beat Virginia. I had Furman picked in that game because I believe that SoCon's a great league. And, um, you know, to see him win in the tournament definitely reflects on that. It reflects on that program. And, and to an extent, it reflects on us. And so um, it never hurts for your league to do well. You know, I, Oates was saying the same thing about the SEC, that he wants to root for other SEC teams because it reflects on the overall strength of the program. So uh, when you're in a one-bid league, you're kind of in a different spot because you can't have four teams in there to root for. But you can kind of um, – cheer for the team that's in there, just that it represents the league well. Obviously, I know a lot of my Sanford friends would say the exact opposite thing and that they wanted for Furman to get 30 piece. And and for those people, I say just look into the second round because San Diego State absolutely waxed them. So um but but overall, you know, it, it's good to see uh the league do well. And and that's kind of my overall take on it. Yeah. So Britton and Tyler, we're coming from Birmingham, Alabama is now into your back in our backyard to now your backyard, Tyler. Uh, in the KFC Yum Center on Friday and hopefully on Sunday. What is the vibe in Louisville? Obviously, there have been more NCAA tournaments and events happening in Louisville. Uh, but what can you tell us about Alabama being able to come up to your town? How excited are you? And what are the plans uh, for that, that the city's had to get ready for this regional tournament? Yeah, I mean, the city's buzzing already. I've just got off the phone with my parents. We're getting tickets. Everyone's getting tickets. It seems like it's going to be a great event. And something I just found out, actually, the last two winners of the Louisville Regional have gone on to win the national championship. Mm-hmm. It was the uh, Virginia team in 2019 and then the Villanova team in 2016, both of which came from the Louisville region. And the last team to do, obviously, that Virginia team was also the number one overall seed. So, you know, bodes well for the historical trend there for the Alabama Crimson Tide. But, yeah, Yum Center is a fantastic venue. It's actually one of my favorite basketball venues to go to. So I'm obviously pumped to get to watch the Crimson Tide in there and get to see us play San Diego State and hopefully, you know, match up with either Creighton or Providence, both of which have, you know, Pro- or Prince or sorry, Princeton. And Princeton, you know, is a surprise team in there. But Creighton is playing very well. They're a really good team. I think they were preseason top ten, so obviously super talented. And then you got San Diego State right there who's – just supremely athletic defensively and should be an absolutely awesome game. Yeah. I think with this potential elite eight game, not to look past San Diego state, but a lot of Alabama fans have that bitter rivalry with Creighton as Creighton Mm. has outed Alabama on multiple occasions. Uh, But Princeton as the 15 seed, I mean, we've seen a 15 seed before in the uh, round of 16, the sweet 16. Um, And maybe as recently as that, was it the Florida Gulf Coast team a couple years ago? Was that the last one? I mean, there have been – I think the last three years there's been a 15 really? seed in the in the Sweet 16, including this year. Um, I'm sorely mistaken. Yeah, but but it, I think it speaks to the just how competitive college basketball has become. And, and some would say that points to starting with COVID and having a bunch more seniors in those lower leagues. Uh, fifth-year players, fifth-year guys versus, you know, a lot of freshmen in the Power Five 
uh, at large teams. Yeah, but... thanks, thanks for saying that, Britton. Now our podcast is going to get scammed by uh, and scanned rather not scammed by Apple, and and it's going to give that label warning now that you you said the word, the COVID word. Oh, yes, thanks, yes. Thanks for bringing that one to light. Well, you know that was one of the benefits of COVID is it gave guys an opportunity to play more, and so uh, and and I hope that it extends past these four years where guys get granted that extra year. Um, but I think you're beginning to see, I mean, the first 15, 20 years of the tournament, there were upsets. I'm not going to take away from that. There were, there was the occasional 15 uh, seed to win, maybe the occasional 14 seed, but you're seeing more and more just competitive games. I mean, Purdue after you granted, if you play that game a hundred times, Purdue probably wins 95 of them. But when that game was being played, I remember watching it and be like, FTU looks like the better team here just with their guard play. Their guard play was so dynamic that. Purdue didn't match up well against it. And um, obviously I'm sure if Purdue could scout it and play it over again, they would win. But I think it just speaks to like the, the number two uh, Roberts on FDU was a D2 player that came with the coach, Tobin Anderson, Tobin, is that the right name? Whatever it is, no disrespect to him, all respect to him, actually. Um, He came with them from the D2 ranks and it shows you how many talented players there are. Um, You know, obviously he's like five, seven. I don't know what his actual height is. Um, he was listed, I think, at 5'8", but um, D1, D2, D3, they all have very talented guys. And so um, to be able to see that talent just placed on this big stage is really cool. Tyler, my dad said this, and I don't know if this is right, but there's some, like the FDU starting lineup is like all 24, 25 years old. Did you hear about that? Um, I didn't hear that. I did see – I was looking. I'm not sure there was a player that was taller than me out there on the court which is something to see especially and Britain, i'm actually go i'm gonna zag against you know the little okay big thing i just think purdue the big 10 they're all frauds i think that's what this tournament's showing and all terms have shown they're all frauds they're all they're, they they play a certain style of basketball and other than michigan state with one of the greatest coaches of all time they're all frauds and they get bounced in march early and it's one of the things that is a benefit of us the sec where you play with athletes, play physical, you play different styles of basketball and have to sort of match up with different paces and do different things. It's one of the benefits. And you see leagues like the SEC and the Big 12 do better. And Purdue, I've been against them. I don't know why. Let's go, Dr. Barnes. Let's go. Yeah, they're frauds, all right? Let's just just say what it is. They're frauds, and they always will be. Yeah, and, and I had Purdue losing the Sweet 16, so I'm not going to pretend I had them going on some crazy run. But you're right. right. Now, it's something I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit is is the Big Ten year in and year out kind of falters in March versus, you know, SEC hadn't exactly put a ton of Final Four teams in the last few years, but they put a lot of Elite Eight teams, teams that do well in the tournament. Uh, the Big 12, Big East seem to always kind of do pretty well. ACC always has a few teams. What do you guys think it is about those leagues, or what do you think it is that the Big Ten doesn't have that kind of makes them either do well or not do well? Um, you know, because I was thinking the first thing is just I, I think in terms of toughness and athleticism and um, just overall range, you see more of it in the leagues that succeed in March. You got to be able to adapt and win every kind of game, whereas, you know, the Big Ten is very like all of the teams play a very specific style of basketball and they all recruit and build a program that can compete and win against those teams that play the same exact style. Yeah. Um, whereas Michigan State, to me, is like all toughness. Like, that's that's an all toughness team and program. Um, I mean, Coach Oates, 
I don't want to say steals. He uses a lot of stuff that Izzo did, though. I mean, like that, that Izzo has had a big influence on Oates. He would talk about how they'd have a uh, football helmet sometimes in practice for rebounding drills. So that's that's the mold of this team. Now, I doubt they're kind of still doing that, but that's the mold of this program. And I think that's why you see them still succeed, whereas maybe a team like Purdue always comes across to me as a little bit more finesse, a little bit more reliant on shooting, um, which, as we know, defense is what you really need to rely on. You know, Oates has always said defense or shooting doesn't determine whether or not you win, but the margin by which you win if you're a great defensive team. Um, and Purdue's kind of never been that. So I, I know I just threw out a lot of stuff, but I don't know if you all have anything to add. Yeah, I think it's just what you said. Yeah, there's just more athletes. Now, and I'm not – like, I don't think I'm – I'm calling them frauds, but I'm not calling them soft. You know, I, they play hard. They're tough. It's just – I think – I mean, you look at the numbers. Teams that slow it down and play that certain that style of basketball are more likely to get be upset. And that's why Oates is so smart with the analytical approach of we want to play – we're, we're going to get the better athletes and we're going to be more skilled and then the only way you lose is if one, you obviously don't play hard enough and don't play good defense. But two, you got you want to get as many possessions in as possible and give yourself give your give yourself the best analytical and mathematical possibility of winning. And that's if you're the better team, you want more possessions, you want to take more shots and use and use those things. And that's where I think Oates is so smart and hopefully where more of this tournament success success can be found. Let's let's put it in, in journalistic forms for uh, for some of our listeners who m- may not be able to quite follow what exactly what y'all are saying. It makes me think as a as a uh, P, you know communications PR journal journalist sports journalist person that it's like someone that writes for the newspaper, not having a Twitter account, not having a social media, not being willing to create a TikTok or do reels, and they're like, "Why is no one reading my newspaper? I'm losing a bunch of money." And you've got this savvy digital media um, guru who's making content and firing it out on different platforms all over the place. That's Nate Oates. And then you've got these old Bob Ryan journalist, Boston Globe people who are like, why aren't you reading my columns? Well, it's like, you got to innovate. You got to get with the times. You can't do, you know, we can't play basketball like we're in the 60s and 70s anymore. Uh, I say Bob Ryan and I'm calling him out because he tweeted uh today's the 19th no yesterday he tweeted yesterday night last night uh about how the three-point shot is the worst thing to happen in basketball in his entire lifetime it has distorted the game at every level and it was never necessary so I say that because I kind of put the two together from the the style of play the pace of play to you know what is the the changing of the game um old, old age versus new age if that makes any sense yeah yeah and I don't even want to make it just strictly this old age versus new age thing. Cause it's like we, when we just spent a couple of minutes applauding Izzo and, and Michigan state and yeah, he's adapted like all great, great coaches do, but it's the same basis for their program that they've always had. But I think it's, it's certain emphases that you place in. I mean, obviously it's something about Michigan state is a seven, eight seed that always just seems so dangerous. And I don't know if it's, from being an underdog and and they feel like they're more the hunters in that instance, or if that's just kind of their, their um, makeup and, and you just see it on display against higher seeds. But I think it's the teams that are so the most aggressive that often are also the least likely to be upset. And that kind of goes with what we were saying, like Alabama, what they're so good at is they're going to lock you up defensively. And then we're going to crash it. Unbelievable. We're going to be one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. And so those two things should have nothing to do with how well you're shooting that night. You know what I mean? 
Like if you're missing a bunch of threes, great. That means we have more opportunities to get offensive rebounds. What a lot of people don't know about us the last two years, I can't, I haven't looked at this year analytically quite as much, although I can tell you we're really good defensively, is that top five, top three. Right. Last year, we were actually a better analytical offensive team than we were two years ago. And to people that watch both of those teams, that might seem shocking because we shot like less than 30% from three last year, but we were the best offensive rebounding team in the country. So we created so many more possessions that actually analytically we were better offensively. We were just so much worse defensively. And that's why we weren't the same team that we were two years ago. But I think, you know, they've really figured out the keys to success Um, because if you're playing a 16 seed, and you got better athletes all over the floor, it's not going to do you any good if you're not going to use them to crash and not going to use them to make effort plays and actually utilize their length and strength and athleticism. And and we saw it on display, obviously, uh, against Corpus Christi. They hit We hit like 10 threes in the first half. But we also were all over the board sending a message that, hey, we're not going out being passive, you know? Yeah. Tyler, I want to ask you what you learned from this Alabama team in the 96-75 win over uh, TAMU – Corpus Christi, and then 73-51 over Maryland. What can Alabama take positively from what they did and what, um, what I guess, Coach Oates can see going back looking at film? What do you take as a positive into this weekend against a lot higher and uh, more stiff competition with San Diego State and then potentially Creighton or Princeton? Um, well, I think the first thing is just what, what we're talking about is the fact that you, I, one of the things I hate when people bring up just because we shoot a lot of threes, everyone's like, Oh, they rely on the three. It's one of the laziest takes in all sports that Alabama relies on the three. Obviously if any team doesn't shoot well, they're less likely to win, but we don't rely on three at all. We actually rely more on getting to the rim, getting into the lane. The best shot in basketball is a free throw. It's the highest percentage points per possession. And that's what we're trying to do every single time. We're trying to drive into lane, get a paint touch and then get fouled and then getting at the rim. And then it just so happens that a lot of times people are crashing on that, and that's where we get the spray-out threes that we are shoot at a higher percentage. And I think that's something that in the Maryland game, I thought they did a really good job of they were staying at home. They weren't trying to let our shooters get open on those threes, and that's where we just had to you know, just keep on driving and getting into the paint and finding other ways to score. And then JQ obviously doing that and then obviously hitting a couple threes really helps to extend the lead. And then I think you sort of saw the same thing in the Corpus Christi game, except we made a couple more shots. And one thing I don't want to be lost on this weekend is, um, you know, a walk-on that maybe shall not be named on this podcast cost us what (laughs) – I know it's not where y'all are, but uh, it was a significant shot to some in that last little thing (laughs) that we might have needed a little bit more defense – a little bit more defense in those final seconds is all is that that's something else I want to bring into this new the San Diego State game is playing till the end of the game. That's something, you know, finish the game is well, something. That I, the end. Yeah, yeah, that uh, a lot of people had <laughs> uh, had 40 minutes worth of investment and not not 39 minutes and 20 seconds worth of investment. A, a lot of people watching the games this weekend had 40 minutes and uh, and a little of investment and a little bit more skin in the game as well. Um, certain certainly couldn't have been any of the three of us though. So if, if it were Tyler or I out there, I mean, and then how about Delaney Hurd cashing a three and then scoring the Maryland game? I mean, the yeah. dudes dudes on fire. Get him in. Yeah, averaging uh, two and a half points per game in the first round of the NCAA tournament is more than a lot of other scholarship players from uh, 
from other conference and, and power five teams from around the country. That, that might even have a history of starting for that team, you know, maybe. <laughs> and I think they wear the same number, maybe. Yeah, we'll we'll just leave it at that. And uh <laughs> you can you listeners can do your research. Um New coaches are, are happening constantly right now uh, for a lot of teams getting out of the tournament and then coaches looking elsewhere. Uh, it was the Princeton coach, right, that took the um, – I'm, I'm, you said Princeton Prov- and Providence. No, and now, Providence. Now Providence I'm getting it mixed up. Okay. Yeah, Providence coach took the Georgetown. Our, our right brain, left brain, are, they're working off of each other today, Tyler. Uh, yeah. Ed Cooley took the Georgetown job. That's a great hire. You had Rick Patino take the job at St. John's today. Um, Big East stock is going up. It's crazy. It, it, that that type of – as a player, because y'all have been in this situation before, um, what's it like when you're in the program, you know your coach is leaving, and you look around the locker room and you're kind of thinking, all right, who's who's leading us right now? Where do we look to? What was that experience like for you guys? And, and talk to me and talk to our listeners about – what some of these players around college basketball are experiencing right now as they hear rumors and um, different things about different coaches who may end up or not end up with their program. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I know for, for me, the week build up between uh, Avery's mutual agreement to part with Alabama, whatever you want to call it, and Oates' hiring was like shrouded in mystery because Greg Byrne just moved behind the scenes. No one knew where he was going. I remember – like Thad Mata was like apparently on campus the day then I was like, oh, maybe this is the guy. And then Greg Burns sent a, a text to like our whole team that was like, we're hiring uh, Nate Oates. And like, y'all, I wanted y'all to be the first to know. And so literally before anybody knew, um, you know, Oates was the guy. And, and we found out. And then we had a meeting, I guess it was a day or two later. And that kind of set the tone. Um, and if that didn't set the tone, then the first workout we had definitely set the tone. Um, looking back, the drills we did weren't like particularly hard. Like it was stuff we'd do every single day, but it was an hour workout. And I swear it was maybe the toughest workout I've been through in my entire life. Uh, I don't know if it's just, I was so poorly conditioned from the previous year or what, or just taking a week and a half off, but everybody walked out of that practice. Like, okay, this is a whole new regime. And there was no question. It was just a question of if we were going to buy in. Um, and you know, I think for Tyler and I, we're, it's pretty easy for us to buy into something that, especially if we believe in the coach and I I believe pretty early on, I know Tyler did too. Um, But it's, it's still a process for the whole team and for the whole program to shift like that. Yeah. I think the craziest thing is it's so uncertain just for the players inside the locker room, because to be honest, before that text, we didn't know anything at all. I remember. um, And then, you know, so we're hearing the rumors just like everyone else. And people are talking to me, like people from back home were like, are we hiring Rick Patino? And I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> like, and I'm not even back in my dorm yet. Like, yeah. I'm like, I have no idea. And then we do get the text. And I remember, I think it, I think it was the first meeting. I think I walk in to meet Coach Oates, and I'm pretty sure it was Coach Pelfrey. <laughs> it was still there. And he even he was just like, I was like, Oh, we're we meeting in here. And he's like, to be honest, Tyler, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be here. He goes, I don't even know what's going on. So <laughs> I think there's a lot of uncertainty that people don't really realize with the coaching change. And like what BJ said, that transition was crazy. I remember the first time we met Oates, it's it's like, you know, you do the introduction, introductory meeting and you think it's just going to be like, hey, like I'm going to play fast. Like I want to shoot threes like this. He, he I'm not going to lie. He called us out. He, he first meeting is going, talking about how we 
he he didn't think we've achieved what we should have, that we're going to need to play harder, that we're going to need to play tougher, that we're going to need to play faster. We need to get in better shape. We need to, be, we need to adopt the blue collar and become a family and hold each other accountable. And it was sort of a wake-up call. And like exactly what BJ said, if that wasn't – if you weren't woken up then, that first practice, it it was legitimately one – I remember distinctly the Cincinnati drill, BJ, which is for the listeners, is basically just a continuous sort of one-on-one fast break drill. And I was going against Riley Norris. And I think he went up for a layup and kind of hit me in the stomach. And it was legit. And at that moment, it was one of the only times where I was like, maybe basketball, is this what like basketball is? Cause like, maybe this isn't like for me, I was dead tired. I was like about to throw up and, you know, but then you get through it and then you're like, man, it's a fun time. And I remember distinctly the first practice, something that will be etched into my mind is because throughout my life, I was always sort of an elbow shooter. I really liked them. And first practice, I pass open a, a pretty open three, take one dribble into a wide open 15 footer. I do think I missed it. I don't really even know. I might've even made it. And Oates stops the practice and is like, Hey, this is a shot we don't want to shoot. And I was just like, this is what, but and it's something that you sort of adapt to. And now I'm obviously totally bought into it, but it is a crazy transition. And it's something that, you know, you really don't realize on the outside. You're just like, Oh yeah, the players sort of have all this inside you're completely in the dark and then all of a sudden a coach just comes in and you don't really know anything about them and boom, you make a connection. And obviously I think me and BJ both can attest to the fact that Oates, I mean, you can't speak highly enough of how he's welcomed everyone in and was like immediately made it a family atmosphere and put the culture first, which is something that he established it from the moment go that we're going to be a family and we're going to play hard and that we're going to, and then he established a system that I think is just really flourishing now, obviously. And this was all pre-transfer portal. I mean, the transfer portal exists. You could go somewhere, but you had to sit out for a year. And I think if it was in conference, whatever the – it wasn't like it is now where you just jump ship and and go wherever. And so, you know, with that, all that playing hard, did you look around? And and I'm sure many of the guys on the team, Tyler, had that look of like – the same look that you had when you got hit in the stomach from Riley, you were like, I, I don't know this, you know, this may not be for me that, that I'm sure that was, you weren't the only one alone in the gym thinking that. Yeah, definitely. And I think it just sort of immediately, you know, in that moment, yeah, you're sort of just like what's going on. But then one, I think it's one of those things that it's like what anyone can experience, you know, you, you go through a tough workout and you're like, man, like, I actually feel like I did something and like, I feel accomplished. So that's something that's really um, beneficial for everything. Yeah. And it's just something that is something that, you know, that was, that was before the transfer portal sort of really hit, but yeah, I think that's something that's really tough for coaches now is you got to set your culture and and figure out who's got buy in, who's not. In Britain, nothing's guaranteed as a walk-on. I mean, you guys weren't scholarship guys. You're academic scholarship guys, so shout out to being all SEC <laughs> academic team. Um, but, you know, you were really – you had your spot, but then you got to go back and you got to re-earn your spot in that situation. Yeah, and and I'll, like Tyler said, I think Oates is really good about that because I'm, everyone – I mean – you know, scholarship guys are, are wondering, hey, am I about to be, you know, pretty much kicked out of the school that I love to say, hey, you got to go find another place to play and we're bringing all our guys in or something. 
And and for us, it was kind of one of those things of, you know, you just like, you just don't really know. And um, within that, I think by the end of that first practice, I was like, A, really tired. B, like, this is a completely night and day different thing. And it's really good. Like, this is going to be awesome. And, and C, just with the way they were coaching us up. Um, and this isn't a shot at Avery or any of those other uh, coaches from the other old regime or anything like that. But they were just coaching us like everybody else. And um, it felt like, okay, like we belong here, you know, like for sure that they see we're playing hard and we're trying to work as hard as we can. I, they're going to keep us. Like, I'm not as worried about that, but it was definitely a process. Yeah. As we wrap up, we want to go to uh, looking at this sweet 16 elite eight regional uh, championship weekend. Tyler, I want to ask you first, any bold predictions or aspirations to try and get as many of your Final Four teams into the Final Four? What are you looking for this weekend? Um, I mean, I, I've i been big on UConn. This, I think they're really tough. Obviously, since we played them, I was really impressed with them. And, yeah, so I'm, I think UConn and that whole region, I mean, talk about what a fun game. You got Muss, who, you know, takes his shirt off. But also, does he shave his armpits? Is that something that that well, I mean wild thing? But yeah, that's that's the region I want to love. I want to see you got the Gonzaga UCLA rematch, which will be awesome game and sort of different styles of basketball. But really, I'm just so locked into the Alabama Crimson Tide, and you know, seeing us play against San Diego State, and then hopefully the winner of Creighton and Princeton. Britton, what are you looking for? Yeah, I mean. I think the biggest thing that stood out in the Maryland game and, and I'm hoping to see Friday night is um, we just really imposed our will over 40 minutes. Um, you know, I, I use, we use the term joyless murder ball when it comes to the Alabama football team and, and just the way that over the course of the game, you kind of make the other team, as Saban would say, you make their ass quit, right? That's kind of the goal, play in, play out. And over the course of 40 minutes, you could just see us defensively more than anything, impose our will on the game. Um, so much so that by the end, it looks like Maryland players didn't even really want to play offense. And they're like, maybe we have a better chance in defense than we do on offense. I'm looking for the same thing uh, Friday, just because I think San Diego State's a really good defensive team. Um, but I think over the course of 40 minutes, I think we can impose our will, hopefully get to the program's second ever Elite Eight. You know, I, I don't want to lose sight of just because the team's ceiling is a national title. I don't want to lose sight in the many victories that come and just winning each of these games. I mean, mm -hmm. to make a sweet 16 is really a special feat to make an elite eight it would be the second ever in program history. It'd be unbelievable. And if they make the elite, eight, I, you know, I got a, a thing or two I have to do Friday night, but I might have to drive down to drive up to Louisville and, and, and hopefully see the tide claim their first ever final four appearance. We're staying at your house, Tyler. Yeah, no hey, doubt. All Alabama fans. I got plenty of room. We can roll up, bring the air mattress. Hey, bring a tent. I got a big backyard. We can we can get any Alabama fan come on in. Yep. I mean, could you ask for anything more than just Alabama's biggest rival to make their first ever Final Four, to play our biggest rival, and, and to hopefully get a win against them? I mean, that would be the most special thing ever. We, we didn't even spend any time talking about the magical night that was Birmingham Saturday night. Um getting to be an Alabama fan in that venue, Galloway, you know, what yeah, what was that like? Getting there? There. It was exciting. I was, uh, you know, put my Houston Cougars hat back on that I had that from <laughs> lifelong the, fan. the Birmingham Bowl uh, 2021. <laughs> Shout out to Paul Graham, who gave me 50-yard line seats. And, uh, you know, as a lifelong Cougar fan, I got to check into that right, game, got to put that hat back on. 
uh, Saturday with my dad. That was fun. Uh, but one thing I'm watching too, Britton, is Brandon Miller. His impact, and you guys both know this, and if you watch basketball, you know this. Brandon Miller has an in- impact and influence on the game, whether he has 40 points, four points, or zero points. And that was evident this past weekend where Alabama didn't necessarily need him. Uh, but he creates a difference. And, and the scouting report and the way you have to guard and the way you have to face Alabama, even attack Alabama on offense, is different when he's in the game. And so how will he be called upon this weekend? Can he get his groin healthy? And then will he need – Will he need a 25-point performance? Will he need a 10-point performance? Or will he need to go for 45 uh, at some point in this tournament? I'm, I've got my eye on that. One, yeah. one thing we wrap up, just is there a player more underrated naturally than Charles Badiaco? I mean, the Maryland, I think, was physically scared to shoot around the rim when he was down there. I mean, he, he affected every single shot down there. I think he finished with a double-double. The dude was a monster, and he was calling for people to get stops, anchoring the defense. I love what I saw from Chuck, and I hope that that keeps on get rolling on. All right, and so as we close, thank you for sharing that little tidbit, Tyler. I uh, want to leave you guys and our listeners with kind of fun facts and uh, memories and kind of anecdotes. So, Tyler, you go first, and then Britton, what was your favorite game to play in in the NCAA tournament? Um, how, how, remind us how many you played in, and then which one was your favorite? Uh, tournament's tough because my freshman year we played we the NCAA was just Virginia Tech and then we obviously lost the eventual champion Villanova. Um, that Virginia Tech game was awesome. I mean the JP he's a flamethrower three and then the Colin Sexton the turnaround shot that like died at the rim and then fell was incredible. Um, and then I I mean but you got to go with probably the Maryland game or junior year or senior year rather was just my senior year was so fun i mean the getting to shoot like that and then also i mean me and bj clocking some minutes you know getting on the score sheet with a minute thing was just getting the step foot on the on the court there in a win you know i think i played my freshman year in the loss of villanova talked to dante divincenzo but um you smack talking <laughs> yeah yeah i, I was like I think I, I think I asked him what the scout report was on me, and he just laughed. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean that getting to step on the court, there's nothing like it. So yeah, I think Aaron win. Yeah, I concur. I mean, I only have two uh, two March Madness victories to base it off of, and the Iona one scared me a little more than I liked. So, but you got to face um, Rick Pitino. Yeah, and that was cool to see Patino because after the game, he came up to us and told us that we could win the whole thing, and he wanted us to go win the whole thing. So that was that was really nice of him. Uh, obviously a legendary coach, but uh, I would say the Maryland one, and I'd say that it was cool to play in the the Pacers gym. I still stand by if we had played in the Pacers gym for the Sweet 16, we win because we were hooping in that gym. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys. And thank you listeners. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Mean Streets Pod for Tyler Barnes and Britton Johnson. I'm William Galloway. Thanks for joining us and stay tuned. We hope to be back next week if Alabama is able to win this weekend in Louisville. This is the Mean Streets Podcast.